How we eat and what we eat is the most critical part of our lives. But how much do we really know about our food and how it lands on our plates? I'm Nicole Perkins, founder and CEO of Prima Foodie. I'm on a mission to shed light on the inner workings of our food system and the changes we need to see for a healthier future. Here, I speak to leaders, experts, and passionate advocates in the fields of science, agriculture, nutrition, integrative health, and more to learn about what needs to change about our food system and the way we eat. We talk about how we can make fresh, whole, healthy, nourishing food more accessible for every single one of us. So thanks for joining me on this mission, and welcome to the Prima Foodie Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Jacqueline Tolentino, a senior doctor at Parsley Health. Parsley Health is a medical practice designed to help you optimize your health and heal from today's most common conditions and symptoms using root cause medicine. They're an online practice that's holistic, supportive, and simple to use. In fact, 85% of Parsley members feel better in year one. Dr. Tolentino is a board-certified family physician practicing integrative and functional medicine with an emphasis on prevention, personalized care, and hormone health. She's received extensive training through the Institute for Functional Medicine. A frequent expert contributor to publications including Well and Good, CNET, Mind Body Green, and Women's Health, Dr. Tolentino has also been featured in Vogue and the Wall Street Journal. She brings a comprehensive whole body approach to practicing medicine, working with both Florida and California-based patients. When she's not caring for her patients, Dr. Tolentino enjoys catching sunsets on the beach with her family and advocating for her fellow young breast cancer warriors. Today, Dr. Tolentino and I are diving into hormone health and digging deeper into perimenopause and menopause. Hi, Jacqueline. Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Of course. To start off, for those who are not familiar with the amount of hormones we have, there are more than just testosterone or progesterone, but there are sleep hormones, thyroid hormones, vitamins that are hormones. Please share with us why hormones are so important as they affect our whole body health. Absolutely. So I think that hormones, we know them as chemical messengers, and they are responsible, like you mentioned, for so many things. They regulate growth. They regulate our reproductive function, our metabolism, our immune regulation, even such things as vital signs like our blood pressure and, and of course, how we sleep. So when we talk about hormone health, it's important that we learn about them and we educate ourselves so that we know all of these things and we know what they do, what kind of processes they're involved in and how this impacts our lifestyle and environment and how that impacts our own unique physiology. And I think hormones have been a buzzword for quite some time, but the reason why is because 80% of women suffer from a hormonal imbalance. That's a big number, 80% of women. And we yeah. do oftentimes put them into these buckets, like the, the adrenal hormones, the thyroid hormones, the sex hormones, but we forget that these hormones are collectively working together like a symphony. So their job is not just to work by themselves, just, you know, just the sex hormones doing their thing. They actually have these connection points and this interconnectedness that I think as humans, we find so fascinating because the body itself is connected in so many ways. It reminds me of traditional Chinese medicine, how everything works together, but you focus on one thing. In the interview you did with Vogue magazine about hormones, you said you can't change something you aren't even aware of when discussing getting our hormones tested. 
hormone testing is not something that the average woman even thinks about doing. They oftentimes get a partial panel when they go to their conventional GP. Can you share why this is vital for overall health to know where your hormones are and to what extent? Sure. I know that's frustrating, right? To just get a partial panel when you go see a doctor and then you realize that you're missing half the information that could give a whole nother piece to the story. (laughs) Yes. When women connect with their care team at Parsley, it's really a joint decision to talk about, to collaborate, to brainstorm ideas around which tests are the best ones that people should be considering. And I think that also it's important for them to decide, okay, here's where I'm currently at in my current state of health in my life journey. These are my goals. Help me understand what kind of tests are important. And there are many tests that are covered by insurance. And this really depends, this can depend on whether a woman is at a specific time in her menstrual cycle. Some of our doctors find that looking at labs at different times within a woman's menstrual cycle to be helpful, especially for the premenopausal women. Other times are tested randomly. Do you mean perimenopausal? Premenopausal women. Or any time, including before perimenopause. That's correct. Yes, the time before. And I think that for those patients, timing at specific times of their menstrual cycle can be helpful for both them and their provider to know what they're looking at, especially if they're looking for different kinds of symptoms that are related to the menstrual cycle. For other women who don't really fall into that bucket, testing at random times, usually I still think it's best for women to check their hormones in the morning and for them to talk to their doctor about doing a full panel that's more comprehensive, that's not just looking at the sex hormones, but as looking at these other pieces, like what their cortisol is doing or what their thyroid is doing, et cetera. Outside of tests that are typically covered by insurance, we also do these other tests called specialty tests. So we think of these as smart diagnostic tests. These are typically done out of pocket, but they can help us look deeper under the hood to take a better look at somebody's hormone health. It can show us things like how hormones are metabolized. Again, this is commonly out of pocket to test for. We don't typically get it through Quest or LabCorp or any of the regular labs, but for many women that are in perimenopause and menopause, and maybe they're struggling with a lot of symptoms, or they want to know more about how these hormones are getting metabolized in their bodies and whether or not they want their cells to work more efficiently or how they can support that, this additional information can be incredibly helpful. And so if we're looking at tests that are covered by insurance, many are. However, if we want to add on that additional layer that can help doctors look under the hood, look a bit deeper to understand hormones better, that's when some of these specialty tests can come into play that are typically not covered by insurance. Oh, well, two questions. First, isn't it useful anyway to have that history? Yeah, it is. It's useful to have that history. I think that cost can be prohibitive for some patients and also making sure that we have a baseline foundation from what's covered by insurance might be the starting place. It -hmm. can be overwhelming to have all of this information at once for somebody who may be starting off learning about hormones. So you can imagine a scenario where somebody comes in who's perimenopausal, who has these symptoms, they're talking and working collectively with their health coach and with their doctor to brainstorm and collaborate on the lifestyle things that can be improved on. And at the same time, they're doing the testing as well. They might be doing the regular testing that's looking at the labs through regular labs. And then as, as a second layer, then they would be going into specialty testing, if that's helpful. Yes. And the reason I asked, well, the second part of it is for some women who just don't want to have to keep going back to the doctor 
for another test, it's the same blood test. Why get have to fast and go back and get poked again? And sometimes it can end up being more costly, right? So yeah, yeah. I think a downside. Yeah, a lot of the specialty tests are at least for the ones that are looking at hormone metabolism. They're done via urine, so that does have an added convenience of them being able to do that test at home. So they can still do their specialty. They can still do their blood test. And then they would have access to some additional specialty testing that can be done at home at their own convenience. Mm. What are some, some specific tests that women should take to understand their hormones better past the initial hormone testing? Is there anything specifically they should be requesting of their doctor when they go in? Yeah. So I think this also depends on how women approach these conversations with their doctors. If you walk in and you say, I'd like a hormone test. They're going to, of course, want to know why. They're going to want to know what kind of symptoms you have. They're going to want to ask what kind of goals that you're trying to accomplish by getting- take notes. 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely important to do that. And then at the same time, if we're looking at an entire collective hormonal picture, it's not just the sex hormones. So they should be asking for things like, I would like to see how my thyroid is doing. I'm under a lot of stress and I wonder what role that is playing in my health. Is it causing my body to experience a lot more inflammation? Is it contributing to the gut symptoms that I'm having? So it's really a collaborative conversation and a brainstorming that they'll have with their doctor about which tests are really the most important. A lot of times at Parsley, we start with a foundational panel of labs. So that means taking a look at not just these collective measurements of hormones, but also looking at nutrients, these markers of inflammation, blood sugar, liver, kidney, and electrolytes, immune markers, and then cholesterol, and even essential fatty acids like omega-3s. So it's a nice comprehensive picture as a starting point. And then from there, they're going to work with their doctor and their health coach to really hone in on what the goals are. So just to reiterate, my two takeaways from that is spend the time, even if it's 10 minutes, keep a little file on your phone of ongoing questions and have them ready before you come in. And the second part is it's got to be really important to be able to have that conversation and not be sort of dismissed when someone is curious. I wonder how the stress is impacting these other things. I wonder if they're connected. Do you have a lot of patients coming in complaining of that? Of stress. Experiences? Yeah. That communication between the doctor and the patient. We have a lot of patients that are absolutely frustrated with not feeling as though their symptoms were taken seriously. And patients that are talking more about how they've seen many other doctors, they're experiencing these symptoms, but they're really not sure what's going on. And even when they do talk to their doctors about it, they're still unclear on what the next steps are or what the root cause is. So women are really frustrated by all of these symptoms that they're experiencing. And they also have this feeling like they're getting left behind. Their doctors Mm -hmm. are talking to them in much detail because maybe there's also time restrictions or whatever the case may be. There's many reasons. And they do come in frequently with this sense of overwhelm and frustration with the system, with not being able to express and take time to talk with their doctors about things. And then also not feeling like they're getting answers. At Parsley, we recently commissioned a survey of 1,200 women 
women in the workforce, different ages, all the way from 18 to about 60. And we did this to learn more from women themselves. We wanted to say, what are their experiences with how they're approaching these conversations with their doctors? And what we found from these 1,200 women is that they're sick. Three out of 10 were facing very poor health. And half of these women were also missing work every 60 days. These women also don't know why they're sick. Two out of three didn't have a clear diagnosis or a clear plan of action from their doctors, from their team. And these women are also- Two out of three. Two out of three. And these women are also giving up. They're frustrated and overwhelmed. Eight out of 10 were saying that they were delaying their care until their symptoms were getting worse or it was affecting their daily lives because they felt exactly this, Nicole, they felt dismissed. They felt time-strapped, like they couldn't really explain everything in the short amount of time that they got to spend with their doctors. And then they were also tired of just getting a quick prescription with no explanation around it, instead of really talking about holistic solutions. So it is absolutely something that so many women are coming into their doctor and seeing and saying like, I've had enough, I'm really tired. I'm very sick and I need support in the right way for me. And I love that you are saying it doesn't have to be like that. No. It's another way. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. What should young, what you touched on this a little bit, but I would love to dive into a little bit more what young women could be doing in regards to hormone health to prepare for perimenopause and menopause. Yeah. I think that for younger women who are looking to prepare for it, Knowing what the time period of when this approximately will take place in their lives, and that's unique to each individual and what their own constitution is, what their medical history is, what kind of medications they've been on, et cetera. How much do genetics play into that, like the mom's pattern? I would say probably maybe 10%. Okay. Yeah, it really depends. I mean, obviously each case is unique, but that's probably a ballpark that I would put on that. A good example is some women will ask, when will I go through menopause? Is there a specific time period? I'm 37 years old. I don't know when I'm going to go through menopause. I recently experienced irregular cycles and I was told by my doctor that maybe you are starting to get into early menopause because of these irregular cycles. And you can imagine for a woman in her late thirties, that can really put you down into a tailspin wondering, is this really true or is it not? So women are also struggling with diagnoses that they've been given or that they've been told and wondering if this is true. Is this really exactly what I'm what I'm going through right now? Or should I get a second opinion and consider that maybe this is not menopause in the late 30s or 37? Each unique encounter for women, they obviously have so much to unpack as far as different kinds of things that could be contributing to those kinds of irregular cycles. But I wouldn't like jump to saying, okay, you have irregular cycles in your late 30s. This is automatically that you're in menopause, right? So learning about your body would be the first step. Learning about what symptoms that you're experiencing, talking to your doctor about these patterns, paying attention to when your menstrual cycles are starting to change and what symptoms go along with it is typically the first step. And don't take that diagnosis from a doctor who tells you that and say, oh, this is it. I guess I'm 37 and here I am going through menopause. You want to understand that a little bit more. (laughs) So really talking to a doctor who is going to help you investigate that further and get down to the root cause of why those irregular cycles are happening at that age is an important step. When it comes to perimenopause and menopause, I wish there was a magic wand women could use to say, okay, 
this is my finite time period. Now I know what to expect. And then here I am in this menopausal time period. And then again, this is what I know what to expect. We have that in terms of education and teaching and learning through community like yours. But I think women also need to recognize that there's so much to learn about your own body and that what your experience is might not be the same as every single other woman out there. That's why these conversations with your doctor are really important so that you can understand, is this unique to me? Am I a woman who's 37 going through menopause? Or maybe I'm not. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that this is my end game. This is the end all be all. And then there's nothing else left for me to do. Are there other possible opportunities here for us to consider and different causes for us to look at? And I think that's where those intimate conversations come in that are really unique to each each woman and what her experience is. I do remember a conversation in my late 30s with an acupuncturist I was seeing at the time. And I had experienced in a regular period. And normally they were always regular. And I don't remember what my other symptoms were, but she was the first one to say to me, you might be in perimenopause. And I said, what are you talking about? I'm too young for that. And she said, well, it can last for up to 15 years. I think I mentioned it to my gynecologist and my doctor, but they were very conventional at the time. And they didn't offer me any any prescription going forward, any guidance So I just sort of lived in limbo and didn't do anything about it. And I imagine that's pretty common. Yeah, it is common. It is common. There wasn't all the seed cycling promotional stuff going on and and others and and just the conversation that is increasing in social media, at least that's happening today. I'm sorry you had to experience that, Nicole. I mean, it's, it's frustrating because I think as a woman, going to the doctor and having a questionable diagnosis and not feeling that sense of trust and also not understanding why that was the only possible conclusion. I think that's the hard part because this goes back to all the women that we talked about in that survey, how, how dismissed we feel and how we don't. And then things will go back to normal for a long time. So you think it was a fluke, right? It's it's really fuzzy. (laughs) Let's talk about misdiagnosis when it comes to menopause and perimenopause. But how does one know when there are other underlying medical conditions, or if this is just the body's hormonal change, how do you wade through that? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a difficult thing to wade through for anybody because they're diagnosed with one thing, but then they're also still searching for additional support and opinion that can either confirm or deny what that is. So it is a bit of a process. When women feel as though they're misdiagnosed, I think it's it's important for us to really understand the whole context as to why that diagnosis even came up to begin with. So for example, if you take that situation of the 37-year-old woman who's having irregular cycles, why was that the only conclusion? Is it limited information that was presented or, or even discussed? Was there more to the story? Is there more patterns in the behavior of the history of this patient? Are there medical conditions that could also be contributing to why the woman's having irregular cycles? So I think that feeling misdiagnosed is also a a way to raise your hand and say, I don't think this is right. Well, and and just to make it a little more concrete for listeners, uh, for example, headaches and migraines, and they can be attributed to dehydration, not drinking enough water. They can be attributed to perimenopause. They could be attributed to other things, obviously. So it can be quite frustrating. And I I imagine the the labs help a lot with that too. 
They certainly can be. You know, typically that's part of the foundation of the initial consultations is to dive into the blood work, collaborate on what's going to be tested and why. So that is part of the picture to help us understand that picture better. Yes. Mm. I believe, and all of us at Prima Foodie believe that food is medicine and incorporating certain foods can work to heal our bodies. Having said that, I acknowledge that if our body is out of whack and our circadian rhythm's off, then any food we put into our bodies is ineffective. Specifically for hormones that affect perimenopause and menopause, what are some of the foods that women should be aware of and consuming to help support that? Yeah, I think the list is shorter for the stuff that we would like to avoid as much as possible and longer for all of the things that we can contribute to add and nourish our bodies with. So when I think of the foods that can trigger a lot more exacerbation and amplification of symptoms in perimenopause and menopause, sugar and high glycemic foods can be a big culprit that contribute to elevated estrogen levels. That's one. Alcohol, and then going into how frequently, how much, what time of day, you mentioned circadian rhythm. So obviously some of these are also correlated to what time of day they're eating it as well or drinking it as well. So alcohol can also change the way that your body metabolizes hormones. And women who drink alcohol frequently typically have higher levels of estrogen than than those that do not. I also think of caffeine. Caffeine is a a difficult one, a delicate one for a lot of people. I love it so much. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's one where we have to take a look at each individual. How does it affect you? How do you sleep? How do you feel when you drink it? There's some nuances there, you know, as far as how each person metabolizes caffeine and the time of day, you know, going back to that, the time of day is really important. Having a cup of coffee in the morning, 50% of it is still in your system and in your body five to six hours later. So if you have a cup at eight, 50% of it is still kind of swimming and circulating around at around one to two o'clock. Yeah. Matthew Walker says 12 hours, the half-life. Yeah. And it's also genetic and my DNA testing. I am one of those people who unfortunately got it from both parents. So I don't process it well and I have to be really careful. Whereas some people can have it right before bed. And for people who, you know, when they have it in the afternoon, they think about not just that night, but how rhythmically over time that makes you feel night after night. If you keep having that same cup at two or 3 PM and again, unique to each person, how do you feel? Mm. How do you sleep? Are you experiencing brain fog? Do you notice irritability? Do you feel like you're crashing? How quickly does that happen? So really learning more about your symptoms can be helpful for your practitioners to understand more about how these foods and drinks are getting metabolized in your body and what kind of effect it has. The other thing I think of too, as far as foods to stay away from or to just consider as we're thinking about this are the processed foods because of all of the different things that are also included in those processed and packaged foods that can also be inflammatory to the body and not great for the gut. Whereas when we look at all the foods that we want to bring in in abundance, there's so much. We think about the foods that support the liver. We're thinking about healthy fats and nice high quality proteins. I like to include thinking about omega-3s as being anti-inflammatory. We're looking at avocado, olive oil, nuts and seeds, those kinds of things because of its effect on decreasing inflammation in your body. Cruciferous vegetables are also on that list because of how great they are to support liver detoxification and estrogen metabolism. 
and keeping up with our fiber since so many individuals are actually not getting it as much fiber as they should on a daily basis. So it's not just, you know, decreasing some of these foods and having this abundance. It's also when you're eating these foods, how it's getting broken down in your body, because there is so much more science to that time of day of what you eat and when you eat it absolutely matters. Are you a fan of seed cycling, eating certain seeds at specific times of your menstrual cycle? I don't think it's harmful. I wish there were more studies that were done to really advocate for that. But so many women, anecdotally, even ones that come to the office or even see me virtually, they find it to be super helpful to have this in their toolbox of many things that are supporting hormone balance and menstrual cycles. So full toolbox. Love that. <laughs> yes. I've read many years ago and always understood that the body makes most hormones between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. How important is this for hormones? And is it different for each stage of the woman's life cycle, like menstruation to perimenopause to menopause? Or is it different for different conditions like Hashimoto's or other conditions which turn into autoimmune disease? Yeah, I think that's a tough question to answer. But universally, I believe in circadian health. And if you think about that, if you think about how your body from a hormone production standpoint is happening, it's not just what happens between the brain and the adrenal glands or the brain and the thyroid or the brain and the ovaries. All of these things are complex situations where this is happening inside the body. But if you think about your body and how the brain is even getting those initial signals to start the, these cascades, it's typically dependent on your geographic location and the rising and the setting of the sun and your own unique circadian rhythm, this 24-hour biological clock that is also inferring to different clocks throughout the body. So I think it's super helpful for any individual because there are so many hormones involved here. It's not just the sex hormones for specific times of a menstrual cycle to really engage in circadian health because the more aligned your body is with recognizing when it's the right time to produce these kinds of hormones, it's going to do a better job of that. If we don't align ourselves in that way, we'll notice more dysfunction, chronic disease, and so on. So the ramifications, like you mentioned, are not just for sleep. It's beyond that. Metabolism, immune system, reproductive health, fertility, those kinds of things, lots of things are more dependent on how well we're able to sleep and whether or not our brain is able to hit the reset can we utilize that time to produce melatonin, which does more for us than just sleep? It's so powerful and help produce those cascades of those different hormones. So I think it's more of a universal concept that we really should prime our bodies to support circadian health. Waking and rising to the sun is very helpful because that sets the stage. The light from outdoors hits the brain through your eyes. And that's what starts the revving up of the engine to say, okay, it's time for Jacqueline's body to start creating these hormones. What else can we be doing during perimenopause or menopause? Uh, at, at what point does a woman look at, well, first of all, what can we be doing? Second of all, at what point does a woman consider hormone replacement therapy? And should you start with the more natural sweet potato-based one? Do you ever consider the conventional version? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, as a practitioner, who practices in the bioidentical hormone space, I think there's absolutely lots of value to hormones beyond just replacing them to support some symptomatology. 
What we know is that if women are approaching menopause within 10 years, they're the ones who are going to benefit the most in terms of cardiovascular disease health, brain health, and also bone health. Those are the three, the three main buckets of support. So women are approaching their health to add in hormones to optimize, not to bring back menstrual cycles in your 50s and 60s, but to give your body enough of that support for the protection piece, and then also to support some of those symptoms that they have that are really debilitating. And not every woman experiences those. Some have come in with really bad perimenopausal and menopause-type symptoms, and they were really looking for relief. I wouldn't say that going straight into hormone replacement is the first go. Typically, they're going to do foundational labs, talk to their healthcare team, and they may adopt other strategies as a starting point. And if, if those strategies aren't helpful, then that may be a possible tool in their toolbox to consider. So it's not the first step, but it's certainly something that's part of those unique conversations. So to clarify, bioidentical hormones, you mean the more natural version of hormone replacement therapy, which includes, from what I understand, it's actually a sweet potato-based, a plant-based version of it. Is that correct? Typically, they are. Mm -hmm. And is there a downside to that, to a woman starting it? Let's say she's got her symptoms managed well most of the time. Sometimes it's not, but she's definitely in perimenopause, maybe getting close. Is there a downside to it? For example, if one were to get on prescription thyroid medication, mm-hmm. the what a doctor will tell you is that you can't ever go off because your body then stops making the hormone on its own. So that's what I mean. Is there a downside like that? As far as downsides go, I think it depends because Most doctors are going to tread lightly in this arena when it comes to prescribing hormones to patients. They don't typically start on crazy high dosages where patients are going to feel very uncomfortable or overwhelmed as they're starting these medications. They typically start slower on these medications and then slowly work their way up from there. One common thing I see is that for women who don't metabolize estrogen properly, before starting any sort of hormone replacement of any kind, If every other box was checked in the lifestyle, things that they needed to work on and do that they're continuing to support, and them and their doctor have decided that they want to consider hormone replacement, I always find it valuable for women to do diagnostic testing, like we mentioned earlier, that shows how these women are metabolizing hormones. The reason why this is specifically important in this population who is considering hormone replacement is that regardless of if it's bioidentical or also synthetic, how they metabolize these hormones might not give them the results that they're looking for or they want or they expect. So when we learn about estrogen metabolism, we learn that there are possibilities where women do not metabolize it properly, whether it's contributed from the gut microbiome and poor detoxification, or even higher levels of certain breakdown products that are creating inflammation, causing oxidative stress, or causing their cells to not work properly. And so learning the foundations of how you can support your body from any type of poor estrogen metabolism is really helpful before you start adding in new hormones, before you start adding in estrogen, before you start adding in progesterone or even testosterone. Because that will have a foundational understanding of if I don't metabolize this properly, let me work on that first so that I can prepare my body for when I am going to be ready for that. 
So it really is important to spend the time doing the diagnostics, and that can be time-consuming and costly for a lot of women. And most functional medicine doctors do not accept insurance or holistic practices for many. So you've mentioned insurance a few times, and it's my understanding that you work in California and Florida. I think I also read that you added New York. Do you want to just speak to that real quick? Sure. I see, yeah, I see patients in California and Florida, but people see Parsley doctors all throughout the country. So Parsley is available nationwide in almost all 50 states. And the way that we support women from that end is they are still able to do labs. They are still able to do specialty testing and have access. So they have full access support from a team at Parsley, even if that means that they're not going to one of the standalone locations, they are still being seen throughout the country and they have access. So I think in New York and California, patients also have access to Parsley through insurance. So insurance with different carriers, I believe Aetna, Cigna, and maybe a few others, we can clarify that. More than 10 million people right now have access to Parsley, which means that they can use and see a parsley doctor throughout the course of the year, establish care, and delve into some of these deeper topics. Yeah. What labs should I get? Do I even need specialty testing right now? Do I need to work on other things before we go down that road? And I think it's important for people to know that parsley is out there advocating even within that space. It's not just you know these memberships that are not covered by insurance. There are several people who have access to parsley, and they may not know it. So it's important for them to check with their employer to see if it's covered there or check with their insurance to see if Parsley is covered. Excellent. <laughs> is there anything else you want to add for our listeners? I think we've covered a lot today. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. And if they want to reach you, what's the best way? Sure. Or follow you. Sure. They can follow me at Dr. Jacqueline Tolentino. You'll also see me from time to time. And of course, so much information through at Parsley Health on social media. You're welcome to also go to my website, go to Parsley Health's website. I'm one of the senior doctors there and I've been with Parsley for almost six years. So excellent. Happy to answer any questions. (laughs) Thank you. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Nicole. 